0: and welcome back to the chaos and shadow podcast my name is kyle and i'm joined here by my co-host pegan how you doing today pegan I- I'm doing very well. How are you doing? I am doing well. We're recording this on December twenty sixth. We just wrapped up with a week full of holiday uh, cheer and fun. Um, just yesterday, actually, which would be December twenty fifth, we put out our episode with the new Kirks. So if you guys have not already given that one a listen, that meant a heck of a lot to Pagan and I because uh-huh. Hellier, the the Greg and Dana's new Kirks, just the whole phenomena, including Phenomena Con, their wonderful convention, that really spurred us on a huge way in 2020 uh really got us fantastic people that we've been speaking to since like our interviews with michelle and katie webb so just a, a massive thank you from the bottom of our heart to the new kirks for coming on to all of our listeners out there that keep us going to all of our wonderful interviewees that have agreed to come on the show it has meant so much to us and as we're, we're getting closer to wrapping up 2020 i don't just a, a huge heartfelt thank you. And going into the new year, Pegan, I'm super, super excited.
1: I am super excited for 2021. Um, we you know, we've got lots of goals as far as people we want to bring on the show, cases we want to cover, all sorts of stuff that we've just talked about that are coming up, you know, just here in a couple of weeks. And it's so crazy to yeah. think that, you know, twenty twenty is finally gonna be over in a couple of weeks, but Whew. thank the gods, it finally is. I <laughs> so. know. Oh my goodness. Uh, but yes. The, the Newkirk interview was so wonderful and so amazing, and we were so blessed. They agreed to come and talk to us and sit down with us. So like Kyle said, if you haven't listened to it, please go check it out. You will not be disappointed. It was wonderful.
0: It was. And, and that being said, we are taking a little bit lighter of an episode this week. It is a holiday time, like we said. So you got a whole beefy interview to go listen to. That's all transcribed for you so you can read along with it. Um, but today we're actually going to be talking about the cryptids of Skinwalker Ranch. In the last couple episodes, we've covered the UFO sightings, we've covered the hauntings of the homesteads, and we covered in our very first episode, our generic initial thoughts when approaching a window area like this. Today, though, again, keeping it a bit short, we're going to talk about some weird activity that's gone on in the ranch. Uh, And I guess right off the top, let's take a moment to define what we're talking about with cryptids. So we got hauntings. So that was poltergeist-esque activity. Things, cabinet stuff was being rearranged. Salt shakers uh, would have different contents in them. Uh, I don't think we'd mentioned this, Pagan, but in one of the previous, we talked about uh, the, the post hole digger going missing. Now, the one thing I forgot to mention is that in that case, it was said to be about like 50 feet up in a tree that they found it. This super heavy post hole digger was hanging out of a tree. I I don't know how I left that little note out, but (laughs) the insanity of the stuff that goes on around the ranch and the things that go missing, that's what we consider to be some of the more haunting activity. The UFOs are a lot of lights in the sky, uh, vehicles floating, hovering, flying around, Again, it's it's aerial phenomena in that case. So now we're looking at just a couple of the weird, more flesh and blood critters that have been seen going around the ranch. And I think the the most notable, Pegan. I'm going to also read a little bit from the UFO display book here a, a, as well today because there's some really great excerpts. But the first one to talk about is a dire wolf that the Sherman family sees as soon as they move in to the property. And a huge note is that according to the Utah UFO display book, the last wolf had been killed in the area in 1929. And this activity happens around the time, but too early for any wolves to reach them from the time that they were released up in Yellowstone National Park. So when they introduced wolves up there, that was apparently 1995. The Shermans are getting mm-hmm. to the ranch in the early 1990s, so it just it doesn't make a ton of sense as to why on day one uh, the family's out there. They've got some calves in the pen. Family's getting things sorted, and they see mm-hmm. this super large wolf, or could possibly be coyote wander up to the family as if it were domesticated, friendly enough for them to pet, but quoted it being about three times the size of a normal wolf.
1: Yes, it it was a very large wolf. And I want to... I want to say that some reports say that this happened within like, you know, the first half day that they had been on the ranch. So it was just super crazy. They arrive at the ranch, they start unpacking, they get everybody, you know, all the animals kind of settled in their pens and weird stuff starts happening from moment one. It's very strange.
0: Indeed. And I I, I do call some question to this. I don't have a firm answer. Curious if anyone out there knows for sure, or Pagan, if you know. But we've talked about how the Skinwalker history, research, all of that, it tends to be scattered. It tends to be hearsay. And especially we have to call in a lot of question hunt for the Skinwalker book uh, that Knapp and Keller put out. That book is very fanciful in some of its things, especially in that they didn't talk to the Sherman family at the time. And that's why I have a question right off the bat, We You mentioned a second ago how this happened on day one. I said that as well. But at the same time, it almost doesn't make a ton of sense based off of some other things that we've heard where like they didn't move (laughs) some of their cattle to the ranch until later uh, that they were actually spending their first couple months there getting things fixed up, getting fences repaired, which makes to me a ton of sense. It does make a ton of sense. So I just question the legitimacy of this. Now, uh, here, here, uh, let, let me give people a read from the Skinwalker. Uh, or I'm sorry, this is the, uh, the Utah UFO display books uh, uh, excerpt on it. it. Says this story is strange indeed. The witness family, including the two children and the witness's father, saw this large, huge animal approach from a distance. It looked like a wolf, but it was much too big, at least three times the size of a normal wolf. The animal came right up to the family where they petted it and were entranced. Suddenly, the wolf darted to the corral where a calf had its head and neck through the bars. The beast clamped the calf's head in its jaws and tried to pull it through. The witness and his father kicked and beat on the animal with no effect. Finally, a powerful handgun was retrieved from the truck and the witness put a bullet into the wolf's chest, still with absolutely no effect. No blood, no apparent discomfort. The witness pumped two more slugs into the animal, and it finally released the calf, but stood a few feet away, quite unconcerned. The witness's son then ran to the homestead and brought back a .30-06 rifle, after two shots with the wolf for about 40 feet away, a chunk of flesh fell off of its shoulder where the bullet exited. The witness and his son chased the wolf first into a grove of cottonwoods and then Russian olives. A recent rain had made the ground soft and the wolf's tracks were easily visible until about 60 yards away from the river. The tracks simply stopped. There was no sign of the wolf, which had apparently disappeared into thin air. So uh, welcome home, everyone. Welcome to your ranch. You got wolves three times the size of a normal one, and uh, they can take apparently a hell of a beating before even physical damage has occurred to them.
1: So let's break this story down just mm, a little bit. A lot going on. Now, the The interesting lore about the Skinwalker is that it can appear and disappear at will. Now, in our research for this, we actually watched an episode of the show alien highway um good show you know but all television shows we take with a grain of salt because it's television but they did catch an interesting aspect of footage where this coyote slash wolf-like animal appeared literally out of thin air on their camera halfway through the screen like the camera had been rolling for a while and then it just poof there it was and then it walked off it was very bizarre so that kind of ties in with this and this was in the same unit it was not on skinwalker but it was nearby. So it was peculiar and interesting similar to what the the Sherman's experienced here. The other aspect of this that's very bizarre is a 30-06 rifle, two shots and then the other one is supposedly a 300 or a 357 magnum. These are heavy duty guns. And a 30-06 bullet, one bullet can take down an elk and, you know, that's a big animal. So you figure a wolf that's three times the size probably is about the size of an elk. But several shots from a 357 and two shots from a .30-06, not only should this animal be bleeding to death, it should be dead. Right? It shouldn't be still standing there. So that's very peculiar on its own right there. And... You know, I've watched several shows of homesteaders and all that out there as well. And one shot from a 30-06 takes out a wolf. One shot. One shot from a 30-06 can take out a bear. So what's going on with this animal that several shots and it still is running and then it suddenly disappears? that's just a little strange. It's
0: very strange for all those great points that you made about the the caliber of the, the rifles involved. This should absolutely have stopped the wolf, the creature, that, again, weirdly enough, a second ago was heavily docile and coming up to the family, okay. three times the size of a wolf. We're talking about, as I've heard it described in other things, other podcasts, other other books that have retold the story. And I want to emphasize that this story in particular of all your skinwalker stuff has a lot of hearsay and i'll I'll get to that in a second but uh, people have described this wolf as being roughly up to his shoulders the the, uh, tom sherman's shoulders. so uh yeah because at three times the size people are are, are saying this thing is getting to about (laughs) like human size of how 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 large in scale Now, again, there's a lot of hearsay that involves this case. And Mm -hmm. the biggest one being Utah UFO Display, who interviewed Terry Sherman, says, in response to my questions, the witness Terry would only tell me that much of this story is based on hearsay and would not elaborate beyond that. So right off the bat, we have an interesting encounter where how much of this actually happened as we just heard it. Did did much of this case happen? Like, do how how many of those guns that were just described to us in great detail, how many of those actually were fired in the way that it it, it, things claim to be? Because if the actual witness is saying most of the stories here say also another note that that first Deseret News article that broke on the ranch that did not mention this case in it either. So if this story's first big break was Hunt for the Skinwalker book and that book did not at all talk to the people that were on the scene that day and it was only the family again the people they chose not to speak to it makes me call this whole uh, like whole this specific incident into question
1: that does bring a lot into question
0: a lot of it into
1: question yeah. but you know there there's other sightings that have taken place you know um, people have seen these large creatures around the UNITA basin And so, I don't know. I'd like to believe the story's real because it gives the other stories substance. But at the same time, the other stories give this one substance, too. So if the Shermans are saying that a bunch of it is hearsay, where did the story come
0: from? Well, that's where you would get it coming from the minds of Knapp and Keller working on the book um and it's interesting too because i mean like you pointed out a second ago these cases go beyond the uinta basin lacking wolves though does draw like that in itself is a huge piece to this story if they're saying there's not many wolves in the area then seeing something of this scale would have been very very strange and like you said well, I, I, I guess it just all comes full circle when we realize that the story that is publicized did not speak with the only people that were on the scene that day. The Utah UFO display does claim that there were tracks, again, that those were left around. Those were tangible uh, from the witnesses' experience. Those stayed around. The bullet actually dislodged a, la- a large stinking piece of flesh from the wolf. And then obviously there was that wounded calf. Now, the the large piece of stinking flesh is a bit interesting. We've not talked a ton about skinwalkers in our coverage of Skinwalker Ranch because outside of true passed down Native American lore, most of our information about skinwalkers is superficial. Uh, it may not be truly sourced from the right people that know. A lot of it's conjecture and hearsay. Though the consensus seeming to be, that they are very selfish creatures. They are witches that have donned pelts of animals uh, that can be male or female. Uh, when using the word witch, mm-hmm. there just for clarification's sake, and especially Native American lore it doesn't matter the gender. But they go out, cause havoc. They not only don the pelts of the animals, but they can choose to appear as pretty much anything. And as you mentioned, kind of dip in and out of sight. So why these paw prints just disappeared in freshly wet mud before they reached the river is rather bizarro. Don't know what else to it say is, about that. It
1: is very bizarre, you know, and it's similar to other cases and other bits of evidence that people have caught in the past of, you know, animals just appearing and disappearing. So it's just, hmm, it really begs a lot of question. It, it gives more questions than answers, true. And the interesting thing that you said, the stinking flesh. Mm -hmm. Now, some of the lore associated, and we're going to go into far more detail with skinwalkers later on uh, in another episode because we're still researching them and we want to make sure that we get all the facts correct before we present it to you guys. But some of the lore that has been said about skinwalkers is they smell. Mm. They smell really bad, apparently. And any fur, flesh, anything that's caught from a quote unquote skinwalker smells really awful. It smells like death and decomp. So that's really interesting that they they said the stinking flesh. Now, I don't know if it actually smells like death and decomp because I haven't spoken to these people. But, you know. If that's something that they actually printed in there, that's very interesting.
0: Yeah, I can't find any more description than stinking flesh. It doesn't doesn't go into detail, uh, at least not the Utah UFO display. It doesn't go into detail. Mm -hmm. And again, if the Hunt for the Skinwalker book does go into detail for our listeners out there reading along... I admit, I shelf that book. Like, I want to get back to <laughs> Frank B. Salisbury, who does the Utah UFO display, is clearly reading along with Hunt for the Skinwalker as he writes this chapter. Uh, I've explained before, and I have a little bit of a YouTube video explaining more detail of why we trust the Utah UFO display more. It just proceeded, or it followed a, a way more investigative style of talking mm-hmm. to witnesses, getting their stories written down. Like, those are, those are big starts. Actually speaking to the people that were on the scene that day is a huge thing. I I trust this book, and that's why I would urge people that if it does go into huge detail in The Hunt for the Skinwalker, be a little careful, because that family that saw it that day was the family that, again, was not interviewed. So very tricky. Yes, it is very tricky. Else to add with these wolves, though, is says uh, during the coming days, there were other huge wolves seen by the witness's wife. That would be Gwen Sherman. Um, She actually went so far as to complain to the tribal police. And that's when she was told the last wolf in the area was killed in 1929. So the tribal police were saying, yep, the, the wolves here are dead uh, or, you know, they've been killed off long ago. There there shouldn't be any around. Uh, the Sherman family, again, being one that was really into these prize, just cattle, cows uh, of all different <laughs> scopes and sizes, they they were very business-minded people from what we can see. So what I got interesting takeaway when I was reading this book was if she was that agitated to actually take it to the tribal police, if that's true, that she took that to the tribal police... Well, I mean, I, I think all of our listeners know out there I, I, not we don't often just call the police for no reason, especially not these days. But even in the 90s, uh, that's just not like you have to be driven to the extent that you call the police, you know, I, I and mean, that's the whole part of it. Right. You're not supposed to call them for a chat. That's not why it exists. So she was that frustrated, annoyed, scared, worried, whatever it might be, that it got her to actually get in touch with the authorities about it and complain. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That says something to me. It
1: says a lot to me as well. You know, um, especially, you know, back in the day, you don't call the police for any reason unless you absolutely desperately need it, like you've been saying. So especially when you live out in the middle of nowhere, like, you know, when you kind of live out in the middle of nowhere, like Skinwalker is literally out in the middle of nowhere, by the way and for her to call the police or you know go to the tribal police and say hey this is what's happening there has to be a big reason for them to do that because most of the time you know they were armed they were able to take care of themselves and take care of their ranch but if you are reaching out for help like that then obviously something else is happening and it's making you worried enough that your own defenses aren't enough
0: Did you know Chaos and Shadow has moved to Facebook? That's right. We've got Facebook pages for this show and Revelator Paranormal. Like them today. Become a member on our website and gain exclusive access to our Facebook group. There, you can help us investigate the files, dive deeper, and build this community from the ground up. Huge thank you to all of our supporters. Head over to chaosandshadow.com forward slash subscribe and look for the links in the description to join our Facebook. I I I agree. I they moved to that ranch to avoid people. That was that was part of the reason they moved there. So to go to the Yunta Basin to to set up shop there, saying that their previous small town was too noisy, too too many nosy neighbors. And you're right. The last thing you're going to want to do, I mean, handle it yourself, right? That's their homesteaders. Right. Handle it yourself. Don't get the reservation involved because that's kind of, quote, the man. You know, that's the government. That's the authorities coming in. Mm-hmm. There is another thing mentioned in this book worth calling out in addition to just the dogs that Gwen Sherman saw. There's a note in here, and I believe this is from about the time of the, the NIDS team. Uh, reading into the book here a bit further, it says, this is, where actually is this? Although many of these things reported by the witnesses could never be confirmed by the NIDS team, there were some spectacular events that clearly validated the ranch as a place where very unusual phenomena occurred. For example, the witness once tagged a calf, that would be Terry Sherman, went just a short distance away for only 40 minutes and when he returned in broad daylight the calf had been horribly mutilated and in one of these cases a snarling dog had brought the witness back to the calf but then the dog ran off never to be seen again so there you go you get a little tease of the the cattle mutilation part but uh, uh, again just another example of like these random strange dogs that just keep to me, they're appearing more like a sign uh, or an omen <laughs> or a guide, a spirit guide. sort. Like, they're filling the role of, I don't know, maybe it is the, just they're filling the role of a trickster spirit, the phenomenon itself. But the fact that they, like, appear, get your attention, lead you somewhere... Do a thing right in front of your eyes, and then totally vanish, never to be like tracked down again. It's a problem. I mean, they were they were genuinely concerned that these were neighbors' wolves coming onto their ranch. They were afraid at one point that one of the neighbors had domesticated wolves to come, uh, and they were just like poorly maintaining them, you know. So they were coming in eating their cattle, sort of thing. Like they were they were ready, I think, to kind of litigate in a way, like make sure they pen up their animals, sort of approach. Only yeah. to be told your neighbors don't have wolves.
1: <laughs> only to be told your neighbors don't have wolves or any sort of of animals that could do something like this you know that yep. that's just oh yeah absolutely terrible and the interesting thing is these attacks didn't stop with the shermans they actually continued into the modern day investigators on the show uh the secret of skinwalker and that is on currently that you guys can watch on history channel
0: new season coming soon
1: yes new season coming out i believe in i think they said april, april 24. Yeah. yeah so stay tuned everybody that's going to be awesome uh, they brought in a couple of alpacas to bring them in as what they call them as biosensors. And same with the cattle. The cattle are c- considered biosensors. They do care for them. They do love them. So don't worry. <laughs> they, they are still very well cared for and very happy. Uh, but they do they are biosensors for them. Uh, early one morning, the two ranch caretakers, Candace Lind, Lindy, I, I apologize if I get that incorrect, And Thomas Lewis, or Tom Lewis, I apologize, uh, were living in a ranch house on Homestead 1, and they woke up to these screeching sounds, these, like, animals in distress sounds, and it turns out that the two alpacas were actually getting attacked by a group of large dogs, wolves, coyotes. They couldn't really tell what they were. They just knew that they were canine of some kind. And, interestingly enough, the camera that was actually on the pen stopped working. And another one one that was obscured, but it was still pointed in that direction that caught part of it uh, was working. And they actually do see some sort of large dog creature of some kind, not very well um, attacking these animals. Uh, when they do go out there, uh, Tom ends up throwing a stick at this large wolf that is not letting go of this alpaca. It actually has the alpaca in its mouth and is not letting go. And eventually he hits it with the stick and it. Does let go and eventually runs off. But he said they were extremely vicious and they just didn't want to leave the pen when he walked in. They weren't really afraid of him. So the alpaca is fine. The pe- alpaca survived, had to have some stitches. But the other interesting aspect is the veterinarian who came out to stitch this alpaca knew the Shermans and knew that the Shermans had a lot of trouble with their livestock and things on the ranch. And he said eventually they had enough and they couldn't take it anymore and they left. They sold
0: the range and they left. It was very interesting. It's interesting, too, because that guy's report isn't exactly accurate now that you say that aloud. Uh, because they they didn't they didn't pack up and, and leave as he says you know tom uh, terry <laughs> i apologize to everyone out there i say tom terry interchangeably because they were given a pseudonym in the or a, a fake name in the hunt for the skinwalker book so terry gore tom freak who's who now tom gorman is terry sherman <laughs> that that's what it yes. is so <laughs> that terry didn't actually end up leaving the ranch Um, is the one thing that that person got wrong, like that one um, uh, veterinarian got wrong. He stays on board through the Bigelow stuff as a a, as the ranch hand. He stays on and, and maintains the property, even though he lived about 15 to 25 miles away afterwards. So it's it's one of those like minor inconsistencies that adds up in a big way because that guy should have known that. Because he would likely have been talking to Tom per some of the other mutilations in the following years.
1: It's very possible. I I mean... <laughs> It's just that so here's of one of those confusion. Things. Yeah, it is one of those layers of confusion. And here's one of those other things, too, is he may have met the Shermans, like, one time. Right. Maybe he worked on their, their stuff, and then you can say, yeah, I knew them. I mean, yeah, if you meet somebody one time and you you know do some work for them or whatever, yeah, you could say, and effectively, that you do know them. But... Do you really know them? No. But I don't know. It's just one of those very strange things. This whole area has a lot of strange reports and a lot of strange connections with, you know, the people that claim that they knew the Shermans and they claim they knew what happened, but they don't really because the Shermans didn't talk about it as much as the community led people to believe that they did and that the Hunt for the Skinwalker book led people to believe that they did and the truth was that they didn't reach out until the very end if i remember correctly
0: uh to which one i'm so sorry who, who didn't reach uh, out to who they, did...
1: they didn't reach out to the deseret news article or the
0: deseret news who broke the story until the very end i don't know about that portion myself i'm not certain about that uh well because because what you're saying like when when um terry sherman reached out to them mm-hmm so terry terry the way that goes down to my understanding that that piece comes out and i want to say 1997 though i can confirm or is it earlier is that 94 uh two seconds here so frequent flyers was the name of that piece that comes out in 96 so that's the mm-hmm. one where he leaves some of this stuff out and he actually ends up staying on, I think is the ranch hand for a couple more years, but it is later in 96 slash early 97 that the ranch gets transferred to Bigelow. Cause they're like, right, we can't keep our animal, we can't actually be proficient ranchers if our things are being eaten. So we need to get out of here so we can actually do our, our job. Yeah. They weren't again, trying to play it up too much. Right the the fascinating part of this again you touched on it a second ago that it just there's so few people involved in this area you'd think a little bit more of these stories would line up and be a smidge more accurate because when i talk about there's few people I mean, the ranch is only bordered by a couple ranches and then, you know, not not a ton of people living on those ranches. So it's it's a very strange thing. You, you'd you mentioned how the modern people are having incidents. There is another one to call out that in April of 1999, there was a large red beast with a huge bushy tail that chased two of the witnesses horses around the corral. That would be the you know, again, the, the Sherman's uh, would be the witness there. So Mm -hmm. Terry was at least working on the ranch to 1999. Um, They also say, so it says the witness and his wife drove checks check check things out. The horse's legs were bleeding, but the animals were otherwise okay. The witness pursued the beast as it exited the corral and loped. Loped is an interesting one. It loped smoothly up at a slight incline where in full sight of the witness, it disappeared into thin air. So there is a theme. <laughs> there is a theme coming out where these critters attack and just poof. Which the the Frank Salisbury says the next line. He says, "Sounds like a skinwalker to me," uh, because in there he's looking at this from a very scientific perspective but saying uh, what do you do i mean that is that is what lore that lines up with a skinwalker if they can disappear at will if they can appear and turn into objects if they can turn into animals and just different things they can appear how they want it really begs a lot of questions i suppose i don't even know what they are right this second but i mean how much that ties in with the ufo activity are, are the crafts they're seeing in the sky then also, I mean, are they somehow related to the physical flesh and blood critters in a, in a different way? Like, are, are the flesh and blood critters the same thing that can turn into one of those crafts they see appearing and disappearing?
1: I think it actually has something to do with the potential for portals on the property. Mm-hmm. That's and, you know, we hear this a lot. We hear that these crafts disappear through portals in the sky. There's radiation and gamma rays and all sorts of stuff in the sky that they can't account for, that's, you know, they have no idea what. Where it's coming from and there's so much stuff that just disappears and goes poof and they don't know what happens and so they attribute to portals and maybe it's very possible that skinwalkers um, skinwalkers have been rumored to not be part of a native american curse but to actually be aliens and if that's the case it might very much be that the skinwalkers whatever race they might be are able to kind of open a portal at will and realize when they're being pursued that it's like, okay, time to open a portal. Like, I got to get the hell out of here. Or they're going to kill me. And they open yeah. a portal and poop, there they go. I don't know. It, it's, it's, it's in my opinion, a possible theory. But, you know, they do say that the the ranch is possibly connected to this interdimensional thing that happens with these interdimensional portals so possibly that's what's happening with these skinwalkers it does
0: also seem to be the conclusion that terry sherman and spoiler frank b salisbury come to i'm not going to go into too much detail the final analysis of this book again i'll save that for people but um, yeah, it, it, there's a line right here. It says, the witness has wondered, to me, the author, if the portal to the other dimension allows all kinds of things to slip through, some good, some bad. Strange experiences on the ranch seem to be clustered together in time, leading to these thoughts. So they they go on to talk about how there was even a case of strange birds coming through. This one's not super major. I debated even bringing this up. But there's a case where they have a bunch of, I, I believe, uh, let me see, is it bright yellow or bright red birds appear in this tree. Uh, Oh, bright. uh, Okay, here we go. One day in the spring, the family woke up to see that a huge Chinese elm tree by their home was filled by yellow birds. Thousands of them. Well, maybe hundreds. (laughs) It says in parentheses here. Uh, They built sock-shaped nests and within the expected time, the little yellow birds were in the nest. Before long, the young learned to fly. In the morning, these thousands of birds were very loud, almost ear-splitting. They were quiet at night and not as loud as the day wore on. One day, they were gone on. these nests remained but disintegrated rather rapidly the witness tried to identify what they were but the closest the family could come was South American canaries so this is one that's a little bit strange because it goes on they talk about how they contacted some lo- local bird experts that don't remember any sort of migration pattern like that but to say that these things could actually exist these birds. Um, they, they very much could have been real just migrating through the area, but it's still strange. And I do understand I I can put myself in the position of the family where you're living here, you know, this area sort of well, um, And, you know, you're getting you're getting these birds that just don't they don't fit the norm. They don't necessarily belong. But it's also worth noting that the Shermans weren't there super, super long either. So I don't know if they would have a great grasp of what the native bird life is like this. This one's still it's just on the fence. It could be very real, but it is sort of strange.
1: It is very strange. And, you know, it does really beg the question of where did the birds come from if they're not native to Utah, mm-hmm. uh, especially northern Utah. So, hmm, if they're South American canaries and there's hundreds of these birds, we're going to go with hundreds versus the thousands, um, you know did they come from South America did somebody introduce them here did they come through a portal <laughs> I mean at that point anything with this range is possible like you can't really say what seems like it could be an ordinary thing it may be completely out of the ordinary for this area so I don't know maybe maybe that is a I don't want to call them cryptids because I don't think they are cryptids but I would say that it's peculiar
0: I definitely I, I would agree with that We Um, we, we, we got some feedback lately that said something like, "Kyle and Pagan weren't weren't necessarily diving into all the super deep things in this case." And I just like to say, Pagan, this is an interesting case, especially as as we get as we're wrapping up our our, our part on cryptids. It is it is hard to tell a traditional story when we when we talk about this ranch, because I hope mm-hmm. that all the listeners that have been following along these episodes I hope you see what type of investigative approach we've wanted to bring forward here, which is really true validation of these pagan and I are natural believers of this sort of stuff that the yes. paranormal can appear in in window areas that all this sort of thing that can be related. I think you and I as as scientists at heart though not through practice, I I think you and I very much appreciate things like migration patterns with birds. We also recognize how much electromagnetic sort of interference can affect animals. There is some sort of I don't I dare not I don't want to say precognitive ability uh, in the sense of seeing the future, but they do know Of earthquakes and all that happening a little bit in advance whether that's infrasound that we'll talk about in a future episode or what the idea that some of these animals could be agitated onto the ranch or like we said through portals are appearing there is interesting all in its own right and what I what I guess I'm getting it there is like it it doesn't break my brain to say that the phenomena could be just manipulating local wildlife too, uh, intentionally or it's otherwise.
1: It's very true. And, you know, we can also definitely say that the animal migration patterns are something that we can very much, I would say, with almost without a doubt reasoning state that the Unita Basin is still a relatively I don't want to say 100 percent uninhabited, but it does have it inhabited it's in it, but it's not growing at such a rate that it would be pushing wildlife to uninhabited areas like ranches. And so the reservation lane, the protected lane is still protected. It still has its normal activity because things aren't getting pushed by development and basically human expansion. So in that regard, these birds that miraculously appeared out of nowhere, essentially, and these wolves that are not native again to this area or haven't and since 1929, they're not getting pushed from somewhere else. They, they're not normally here. So in that regard, you can't blame the humans for this. So it does go back to that unexplained reasoning of how did they get here? What are they and where did they come from?
0: A very quick Google search on the side here reveals that the population of Uinta County has only, since, since their first out of here in 1980 on, on this chart, uh, that was about 2000 or sorry, 20,000 people in 1980. It is only up to 35,000 in 2019 is the projected. So uh, only 15,000 people have, have moved into that area in, what is that? 35 years, 30, 30, almost 40 years yeah. in this graph. So mm-hmm. 10,000 ish people. I I, I I don't, I want to be careful. Utah is very uninhabited as a state, like very uninhabited. I think we're still only at like three to four million people through the entire state. It's it's very small. Most of them live in Salt Lake City with me in the backyard here. I think we have a million and a half of them, uh, if not more. So in, in the city. So when we talk about an un- uninhabited state, you're very right. I, I'm hesitant because I just don't know the migration pattern of people to say well enough if neighboring counties grew and pushed animals in there because you mentioned, you know, that people didn't do it. But that might we don't I don't have that information. Uh, yeah, I will say that, though, what we do see here is that at least the, the, the proper Uinta Basin did not see that many people jump into it. But there's another questionable stat to that, too. And that is these are from Uinta County. That does not mm-hmm. include the entire basin, which goes into Colorado as well. So. When we're getting some statistics on this area, it's a it's a bit it's a bit confusing, a bit tricky, just because federal lines mean that numbers are tallied differently. But I would argue that animals, skinwalkers, whatever's on this path, doesn't give a damn <laughs> about your uh, census lines and all that happy stuff. <laughs> so, again, my question being, and I just don't know the answer yet. This is a question for another day did did population booming in colorado potentially move critters westward into that's, the thing
1: that's an interesting question that we'll have to definitely look into as well mm-hmm. um as we continue our research with this case and you know maybe see what the the colorado border is to see how much of that has grown in those areas to possibly push wildlife and see if that might be you know because there are wolves in colorado so is it possible that they could have migrated yes Possibly. But could they have migrated from what, 20 years ago when the Sherman saw them? And it's, that was what, I want to say, 96? Yeah, about 95, that. somewhere in that range. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in that regard, you know, is it possible that they migrated from there? Possibly. Wildlife patterns are weird. I, shit happens with wildlife, mm-hmm. it just does. But is it possible that, you know, the stuff that is happening and these dogs that are appearing, are they coming from other places? Maybe. Or maybe they are skinwalkers. Maybe they're aliens. Who knows? Truth be told, I don't care. I think it's just really interesting wherever <laughs> they came from.
0: <laughs> Me too. <laughs> On that note, let's wrap up our episode on skinwalkers by no means, uh, or I'm sorry, our episode on cryptids, I should say, um, with with these very interesting tangential relations to to skinwalkers. We're going to keep investigating. Our next thing is to actually get in touch with someone from the reservation, if possible. So after these holidays are completely cleared out and we approach January... Peg and I are intending to reach out there. So, again, for people mm-hmm. listening, I hope you're following along with this investigation, and we'd love to know how you're feeling about it, too. So, I'm just going to throw out we don't say our uh, throw out too many email addresses here, but if you guys would like, mysteriesofchaosandshadow at gmail.com, great place to send that. There's also some contact forms up on the website. We'd love to hear yeah. if you've been following along with this investigation because we've met some great. Skinwalker friends that are also interested in it over on Twitter Um, Mm -hmm. and that's where I would say it's it's this is our very first time digging into a case in a not single episode style we've really been diving into it and learning and trying to bring back new information every week. Um, So that we can do this again as a semi real time investigation. So if you're out there listening, even if you are listening to this a year later, shoot us a a line, let us know what you're thinking about it. We want to know the Skinwalker cases is by no means closing. And as Peg and I are plotting out our early 2021 Mm -hmm. We are asking ourselves how long we're intending to spend on this case because, like we said at the start, there's going to be a new season to that show coming out, estimated of April. And if that estimate of April works out, then we're going to have a lot of new information or, or some additional aspects to touch upon. And with that, we're trying to get interviews going. We're trying to get other components all lined up. So I hope you are very much enjoying it. And I would also ask a special holiday gift from you to us. If you haven't let, uh, left a review on any of our episodes before, consider doing so. We would love some five star reviews. If you drop them on iTunes, preferred, uh, drop them. On, there's all kinds of different rating software out there these days. Podchaser is a good mm-hmm. one, but those those reviews mean a lot to us. They they get our our name out there and ultimately sharing it with your family and friends. Fantastic thing. If you know people are trying to, you know, occupy themselves around this season, they're stuck inside, nothing to do. Send them chaos and shadow. We'll have lots of fun to share with them. And uh, you can join that investigation with us over on Facebook because we're taking everyone into that group now. So you just need to apply.
1: Speaking of family things, Mm -hmm. if you guys haven't watched the show on History Channel, I actually just watched it over the Christmas holiday with my daughter. (gasps) And for those Hellier fans out there, she actually stated that the show reminds her a lot of Hellier. And so you guys should definitely go check it out. She loved the show. She loves Hellier. She is a big Hellier fan. Uh, Definitely go check it out. Give yourselves a kind of little brain vacation and kind of dig a little deeper into Skinwalker and kind of learn along with us and research with us and come tell us your experiences in the Facebook group. You can email us like Kyle said. Just hit us up on any social media
0: platform we're pretty much everywhere so just come find us and talk to us about it we'd love to hear it indeed uh, yep this this one's this one's gonna keep going so we're gonna have lots of skinwalker content um we have a couple just so we don't bore or like make the idea of skinwalker stale we we recognize you know how long can one talk about it in a row So what we've also got planned for the upcoming is some episodes on where the the cases where UFOs have actually attacked and hurt people because that's related to the ranch. Mm -hmm. And one that Pagan created a good almost five months ago, a wonderful episode that we've been (laughs) sitting on on infrasound. Uh, because yes. that tied into us looking into the of Pass. I had read a book with that. I mean, we, 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 we went into, it. we were going to do a whole episode and now feels like the appropriate time to let it go and release it into the wild because infrasound might be one of those components that is leading to some of those cases of extreme fear and agitation yes. on the ranch.
1: Very well could be, especially around Homestead too. So mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of those very weird kind of phenomenons uh, and some of the other big cases that we're looking into, we're looking into possibly Point Pleasant and the Mothman oh, stuff yes. Uh Baciu Forest in Romania. So we are not just looking into Skinwalker as our big end-all be-all case. We have a lot of other ones that are kind of on the books for 2021 that we're looking into. So stay tuned with us for the upcoming year and we're gonna hopefully have a lot of fun investigating with you guys.
0: Indeed. we Likely- like we said we'll let you go here everyone and enjoy your holidays stay super safe go over to chaosandshadow.com for all of your links you can become a member you can shop our cult shop buy some incense and spell candles it's wonderful times the blog is booming pagan's got reviews going up there we've got witchy articles going up there we've got Massive vault notes that accompany these episodes. So, folks, go out there, check it out, and like we said, leave a review, share it with friends. That would mean the world to us. Be safe, and we will catch you for more Skinwalker next week as we discuss the cattle mutilations. Ooh, <laughs> Pagan, thank you for your knowledge and your time. Everyone out All there, back. we love you. Stay safe and chat soon. Bye bye. Bye bye.